0: You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This is Father James Shaw, and I'd like to continue with our uh, reflections on comment on at the limit of political philosophy, and we wish to do continue now with the fourth section which is called Political Philosophy and the Things of Uncommon Importance, to, reflect, to recall the title of the book. Chapter 10 is called Theology, Science, and Political Philosophy. Again, it begins with a quotation from Samuel Jonathan from December the 8th, 1763. You will perhaps wish to ask what study I would recommend. I shall not speak of theology, because it ought not to be considered as a question whether you shall endeavor to know the will of God. I shall therefore consider only such studies as we are at liberty to pursue or to neglect. And of these, I know not how you will Uh, make a better choice than in studying the civil law as your father advised and the ancient languages, as you have determined for yourself, have said. At least resolve, while you uh, remain in any settled residence, to spend a certain number of hours every day amongst your books. The dissipation of thought of which you complain is nothing more than the vacillation of a mind suspended between different motives and changing its direction as any motive uh, gains or loses its strength. The end of the quote. The first consideration is the background of political philosophy. In part four of this book, uh, I want to continue the approach of part three, not the brilliant errors, but the intellectual and practical issues that leave us open to the higher things, leave us open to being ourselves. In this book, Classical Ethics and Politics uh, and Political Philosophy, particularly through Plato and Aristotle, Augustine and Aquinas, have presented and deepened reflections on the realm of, uh, on certain perennial questions that arise in normal living, questions that themselves are the signs of intellectual life, itself occasioned by human uh, perplexity and wonder about these things. I have suggested that many of the alternatives presented by modernity, designed <clears throat> initially as replacements for classical or medieval thought, have proved in their living out impossible or dangerous. For these things, in many Generations, it is possible, indeed, uh, imperative, to reconsider to reconsider uh, these philosophical and revelational approaches, not only in their own theoretic light, but also as uh, responses to changing, uh, continuing failures of modernity, even. When we call them good, as uh, we sometimes do. But when the questions have been formulated on the basis of experience, including the experience of error, they leave us a suspicion that there is something more, a more intriguing uh, uh, border or further. a frontier appears uh, that causes us to suspect that we just begin to know uh, what is when we know all we seem to be uh, all we seem to be able to know. We are not merely uh, Socrates knowing that we do not know, but at St Thomas's death when he um, realized that all. The extraordinary things that he did know were but straw in comparison to all that there was to know. Questions of virtue, justice, death, salvation, evil, punishment, forgiveness, and happiness have provoked our attention once we have seen that they are uh, the issues that that confront each human life. Indeed, the higher questions do not exist as intellectual issues until we see that they deal with problems that we have lived with uh, and thought about. One of the main purposes of education, however defined, is to enable us to see such issues not in any abstraction, but in our own reflective life. The deeper uh, considerations of each issue is aided and made more precise by a formulation of our experience that was initiated by the classical authors and carried on by those philosophers who also knew revelation. We can and ought to uh, repeat this experience by reading it for ourselves and in ourselves. Three final issues seem most appropriate to reflect on from this uh, point of view, the issues of knowing, doing, and uh, communicating. of science, law, and friendship, in other words. None of these topics uh, necessarily arose from evil. Each would be an intellectual uh, perplexity, even if there were no evil. Each must include, furthermore, an awareness of evil, punishment, and death, of happiness and salvation, even to be itself. None of these issues things would explain everything about itself, even when it has been explaining properly everything um, everything that it could uh, explain about itself. As in the case of the purpose of virtue, so here in the questions of science, law and friendship, we arrive at the most uh, subtle questions that political philosophy intimates to us. What is striking is that when we know, uh, when we observe the law, when we discover friends uh, and uh, communicate with them about the highest things, we are left with the suspicion that what is incomplete demands completion. We are further struck that in thinking of possible answers to these questions, we have at least some hints about how and why the revelational answers respond to the questions of political philosophy. We have seen this already. In the case of evil and punishment the proper analysis of which uh surprisingly argues for not against one our dignity and freedom we have seen uh, that virtue leads to a happy life whose outlines seems threatened by death and evil we have suggested to recall that there are certain fundamental lessons taught to us by death, evil, and punishment that uh, indicate that it is all right to be a human being and that the uh, progressiveness of man's thought and actions lead uh, somewhere, that they are not just blind alleys let us begin part four with science which is in the modern world has seemed to present uh, itself as the chief opponent of religion but which uh, more and more can be seen as something that uh, requires certain proper theological attitudes if it is to flourish And to be intelligible to itself both theology and what we uh, now call science are in their own ways attempts to answer uh, these questions about truth and the meaning of human life in its fullest extent however inadequate uh, they uh, may be For this task in classical thought man is by nature a political being his nature is not of his own making rather this particular nature is discovered through experience and through the use of self reflective intelligence that is already operative within man himself Man is a being who must choose to become what he ought to be. Be thyself is a function of know thyself. The content or description of what man might be is what he can learn uh, from self-reflection on the complexity of his own being. Nothing is more immediate to us than ourselves. And yet, we often have to learn from the philosophers how to see ourselves. Classical thought is, in essence, a provocative guide to enable us to make this self-reflection evident to ourselves. Because man is already man from nature his freedom is limited by what he already is he is free to be a man not a beast or a god but both beasts and gods are good indeed man has something both of animal and divine nature already within him in his own being classical thought learns what man is from his nature once he learns this man can attempt to rule himself according to his knowledge classical thought reveals itself to be a spirit of moderation classical philosophy also recognized in the uh, myth of prometheus itself not unlike uh, the account of the fall in genesis that man was that man could, if he chose, conceive his freedom to be directed against the gods, to claim powers that were not by nature uh, uh, his. Hubris or pride was the great sin, the claim of man to be complete autonomy in each of his actions. Or words, a being subject to no uh, intrinsic moderation. The spirit of of moderation allowed man as a finite being to exist, to acknowledge a legitimate place and status for man in the universe. But the spirit of immoderation, or pride, did seem to suggest that what man was in his right life was itself something that needed completion. Man, in classical thought, is in a precarious position since he can act contrary to his nature. His nature, though this is not its essence, is to have the capacity to act against his own nature. He can sin. He can act against that, what he thought, uh, what he ought to be. Praise and blame for our actions are only possible if we acknowledge simultaneously that it is possible in each deed to act freely and to act either for or contrary to what a person ought to do. We can praise or blame validly only if there is a right thing to do, even if we do sin or act contrary to our nature. This liberty to choose what is properly fulfilling and right makes it possible for us to experience delight and wonder. This liberty to choose what is less less than or contrary to man's own highest interests emphasizes the seriousness of human life, even in its own limitations. It also defines the alternatives uh, to the theoretical life that man can conceive for himself the formulation of these regimes of the best regime is the highest task of classical political philosophy the description of the best life enables uh, classical thought to classify those lives and those policies formed by them or which were less than perfect. This further classification of existing regimes as less than the best, which Plato did in the Republic and Aristotle refined in the politics, was formulated according to the ends or purposes for which the regime was organized and knowledge of ethical and political things was possible. This knowledge of ethical and political things, moreover, included a description of what was wrong and what was right in individual lives and in regimes composed of individual uh, citizens. The knowledge was not altogether complete but it did not uh, claim to be based solely on man's own powers uh, to understand what what he was by his own uh, formative knowledge. Ethical and political analyses were understandings of the way the human being acted in the light of how they ought to act. Medieval and uh, modern political philosophy built upon this classical heritage in, a bar- in various ways. Even when the bases of classical thought were rejected outright, as in the uh, premises of modern theory, the nature of the rejection was unintelligible without an understanding of of the foundations of classical and medieval theory. Medieval theory did not maintain that the classical tradition was wrong. It did insist that it needed to be completed by revelation because classical thought was unable adequately to respond to questions that arose in political experience. Modern advocates of a return to the classical theories, but who do not see how revelation and reason can address each other, argue for the superiority of philosophy to revelation, not as valid incompleteness open to something beyond itself. The modern claim, on the other hand, is that That essentially experimental science has replaced the classical and medieval premises of reason and revelation. This replacement uh, is postulated in order to improve, if not perfect, man's lot. This claim uh, to uh, be intelligible requires some understanding of the classical notion of the best regime as well as of the relation of modern uh, regimes to these uh, regimes, including democracy, uh, described by the classical authors as less than good. The second section, Reason and Revelation. To comprehend medieval and modern political philosophy, it is necessary to devote specific attention to them. But it is first useful to see how the discourses of classical, medieval, and modern political philosophy interrelate with each other. What is peculiar about the discourse of political philosophy as it arises in the classical and proceed to the medieval and modern theory is that classical political philosophy uh, claims to be and indeed proves itself to be universal that is we deal with a philosophy and a tradition that addresses itself to man as such man of whatever time or place it is a philosophy and philosophical argument locked in dialogue with any system or proposed alternative uh, to it arising from whatever uh, source or from whatever theoretical uh, or uh, from practice in existing states from religion, uh, economics, or psychology, or even from politics. In terms of political philosophy, ancient, medieval, and modern theory belong to the same discourse. No theory in other cultures is somehow independent of, or uh, superior to, uh, the considerations. Of political philosophy itself. All is part of and comprehensible to the same discourse. We can talk of different politics, Athens, Sparta, or Thebes, but not without comparing them uh, by a single st- standard that has been tested by argument. We cannot claim that different political philosophies are each true unless their terms and concepts are tested uh, by the same norms of political philosophy Cultural relativism is self-contradictory likewise the political claims uh, of the uh, uh, great religions Eastern and Western, must also be examined under the authentic light of political philosophy, at least to show that they are not contradictory uh, to reason itself. To begin with the difference between classical and medieval political philosophy, one must distinguish between reason revelation this distinction is the origin of why medieval political philosophy differs from or adds to classical political philosophy the choice to live as a philosopher ceases to be simply an act of faith and of will Thomas Pangle has written Uh, if only it is a choice to live as a philosophical, as a philosopher preoccupied with the serious examination of the phenomena and the arguments of faith. If and only if, that is, the philosopher uh, never completely ceases uh, engaging in conversation, conversational scrutiny of of those who articulate most authoritatively and compellingly the claims of the faithful, and if and only if through that analysis he repeatedly shows to his own satisfaction and to that of others that he is not a definitive, not a full, uh, not a fuller approach <clears> of <throat> the moral uh, uh, experiences to which the pious uh, point to in their most uh, significant experiences. The theme of such uh, dialogue uh, will always be, in one way or another, the human. Soul And the needs or longings of the soul, which the pious claims, allows us intimation of the divine. So you have to pay attention to at what he's saying, basically. Uh, pay attention to uh, the claims of the divine, to, that those pious people claim are true, have an intelligibility to them that cannot be rejected. Medieval political philosophy uh, does not uh, propose that philosophy can give a fuller account of human longings than faith. But it does argue that these longings are first uh, intelligible in philosophy. Medieval thought continues on reflection uh, to make uh, philosophy to be more itself, more philosophy. The characteristic of medieval political philosophy is not uh, reason or revelation, but reason and revelation. The test of whether a presumed revelation is unbelievable is not simply that it claims uh, to have risen from outside of the human reason but whether it specifically uh, contradicts it. If what is said to be revealed is irrational or contradictory, it cannot be believed, even according to revelation, at least according to a non-voluntarist revelation. The medieval controversy about the possibility of two completely uh, contradictory truths one from reason and one from revelation, was precisely uh, to address this question. Revelation, as much as philosophy, insists on the unity of the world and of the whole. The test of philosophy is why is it that it cannot give full uh, account, a full account of the whole, even though that is what it seeks out to do, an even greater test is: Why is it that this? Uh, why is it that properly formulated questions of philosophy have possible answers addressed to him, to them in revelation? Medieval theory then acknowledged that. Any revelational, any revelation that contradicted reason could not be believed. It claimed to make reason more reasonable than it would be uh, have been without the revelation uh, by forcing it to consider issues that it would not otherwise have had to engage. Uh, Medieval political philosophy does not conceive itself in opposition to the truth of reason as uh, found in the classical political thought medieval uh, political philosophy is not uh, addressed uh, to the masses as a substitute for the philosophy that they could not understand medieval political philosophy with its uh, serious uh, considerations of revelation, is addressed to the philosophers themselves to challenge them to complete the truths of philosophy already found in reason. Religion is looked upon in some classical writers and modern thinkers following them as primarily a myth that is used to control and to rule those who cannot reason fully for themselves, as the philosophers uh, supposedly can. But this understanding is not how medieval thought conceived itself. For the medievals, the philosopher needed revelation as much for his own perfection uh, philosophy as anyone else in the normal course of human life including politics so so for human perfection the philosopher as a philosopher like everybody else needed something more than himself it confronted if confronted with the problem of evil and punishment the politician needed revelation to complete certain uh, enigmas of politics. Likewise, our philosopher uh, confronted by certain enigmas uh, about truth and its origins needed revelation to clarify the whole, and the philosopher could not claim to be uh, authentic to truth unless he so considered this claim. In any given actual regime, a radical opposition may exist between reason and revelation, not because of uh, thought itself uh, or for the supposed impossibility of considering revelation as a potential source of right order, but because every polity is based on some end, and some chosen goal <coughs> about which it can uh, constructs and legitimizes itself. Responding is uh, the problem of civil religion or ideology. The potentially the potentiality for this opposition between revelation and polity lies in this very structure in the very structure of the human freedom that is capable of choosing an end contrary to the highest good. A polity may choose some peculiar god as its own, or it may exclude anything claiming revelation as a source. To exist in such a polity, revelation would have to be underground or private. The laws of this poverty uh, polity would uh, allow no place either for Revelation's uh, transcendent claims uh, to limit the public order or for Revelation's uh, influence on the actual souls of men. And this is the end of the first part. Of this chapter. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at CatholicThinkers.org/donate to help us keep this content free.